Okay, well, Happy New Year. Um, hey, it is my privilege today to speak about the gospel. And I am always excited about the gospel. So I would encourage you, if you um, haven't been regular at the Breaking of Bread service, at our 9 o'clock service, I would like you to encourage you today, it's the beginning of a new year, maybe you make that commitment to come at 9 o'clock to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. You guys, there is no more important message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't, and, and I just want to challenge you to start your day every day preaching the gospel to yourself, remembering what Christ did for you on the cross. And that be the motivation for your life the rest of the day. You guys, a wonderful time on a Sunday morning to come together and to remember what Christ did on the cross, to remember the gospel. So I, this is wonderful to be able to start off a year, this year speaking about the gospel, and for me to get this opportunity to share about the gospel. So I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I want to really challenge you too this morning to read your Bible every day, to get your Bible out and read it every day. If you read it for five minutes, great. If you read it for two minutes, great. If you read it for two hours, great. But I would challenge you to get your Bible out and read it every day. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 4, talks about the gospel. This is the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. How important is the gospel? By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Believed for nothing. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ was buried, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the gospel. And we usually speak of the gospel to people who aren't saved, to people who don't believe. So, I just want to take a minute here to speak to you. If you are sitting here and you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There is a guy, Nicodemus. You might remember this in John. Chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus, asked him some questions, and Jesus didn't mess around. He said this, hey, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. And Nicodemus, well, of course, he doesn't understand that. Like, what does that mean? And Jesus says, you should know this. Because from the Old Testament, you should know this. He said, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. He said, that's the gospel. Nicodemus, you should know that. You know the Old Testament. You're a teacher of the law. What is this? You don't know the gospel? And you know the scriptures? You guys, you should know the scriptures so you know the gospel. How important is the scriptures so you can know the gospel? Here's a guy, knew the scriptures, knew the whole Old Testament, and he missed the gospel. I hope some of any of you, I hope 
There's not one of you sitting here that's missed the gospel. Maybe you know the Bible. Maybe you've heard the Bible. I know there's people that have heard the scriptures taught who know the scriptures have missed the gospel. Nicodemus missed the gospel. So Jesus goes back to this incident back in the Old Testament. So if you turn to Numbers 21, I just want to share the gospel out of this story from the Old Testament. Numbers 21, Nicodemus should have known this. So chapter 21, the people are traveling in the wilderness. Um, then they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Wow, here's the first piece of the gospel. We are sinners. Okay, here they are walking through the wilderness and they start complaining. They start sinning. Here's the first part of the gospel is we are sinners. And then look what happens. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many people died. And here's the wages of sin is death. If you sin, which we all do, you're going to die, which we're all going to do. We all die because we all sin. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And then the people had to repent. Repentance. The people said, we have sinned. We've offended you. We've not obeyed you. And God, we, we can't do anything about it. They say, Moses, pray for us. We can't fix this. We need, we need you, Moses, to pray. We need God to help us and save us. And so here's, here's what Moses, the Lord said to Moses. Verse 8, make a snake and put on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Then they looked at that snake on the pole and they were healed. And Jesus said, the son of man must be lifted up that whosoever believeth on him will be saved, will have eternal life. You guys, the next verse that comes after that in John is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth him should not perish but have eternal life. If you are sitting in here and you have not placed, repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to do that today. Today, it's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that brings salvation and nothing you can do on your own. So, challenge you. There's someone here. Talk to someone, okay? So, I just want to take a minute here and pray. God, we just thank you for this time we can spend together in your word. And I just pray if there's anyone here who has not repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would do that even now, this morning, right now, or before they leave this place. God, I thank you for those who have repented and uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the salvation that you've given, that you've promised. God, I just pray for the rest of this time that we might be encouraged um, because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, so what I'd like to spend the rest of the time doing is um, <clears throat> I want to speak about the gospel in the church and I want to speak about the gospel to us that are already saved. I would hope the gospel has a huge effect in your life. So, um, I want to just um, read a couple passages where Paul speaks to the church about the gospel. Because I think we should be meditating and focusing on the gospel. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul wrote this to the church about the gospel. And I, and I just want you, as you read this, maybe just to ask God to show me some things about what should my response be to the gospel. Because I just, I just highlighted a couple phrases in this passage. The importance of the gospel in my everyday life, the importance of the gospel in your everyday life. And he writes in verse 2, 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the gospel. I would hope this thought dominates your life. I would pray that this thought influences everything you do. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That should be the first thought in the morning. That should be the first thing you think about. When you, try to, when you are going to make a decision, that should be the thought in your head. This, I've decided no, nothing, if you knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, you would do well. And then he goes on and says, And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. My faith is in Christ and the gospel, not in my own thinking. It's in what's in the scriptures and not in the wisdom of this world. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Guys, is that your most important thought? Is that what runs your life? Directs your every decision? That Jesus Christ was crucified for you? Love this passage. And then if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. And as you read this again, how, is this, how does a gospel speak into my life, impact my life. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, was not for nothing. Do you know what? The gospel is not for nothing. You know what? The gospel is everything. You know what? The gospel is eternal life. The gospel is everything. It's not in vain. Listen to this. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully detreated at Philippi, do you know people have suffered and died for the gospel? Do you know that's how important the gospel is? That people would suffer and die for it? Guys, the gospel is... You want a purpose and a reason for living even every day? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
as you know, we had boldness in our Lord to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Verse 3, for appeal does not spring from error and purity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not to please men, but to please God. You know what happens when you remember that Christ was crucified? That your goal in life now becomes, I want to please God and not people. I want God to be pleased with me and not people. Man, that's going to affect your life. It should affect your life. The gospel should affect your life. Who tests our hearts, verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Man, do I love that about the gospel. God just didn't tell you he loved you. He sent his son to die. Wow, Which, God just didn't tell you he loved you. He sent his son to you. Man, the gospel is not words, just words. The gospel is action. The gospel is life. I love this about the gospel. And then he goes on. Our own selves, because we'd become very dear to you. For you remember, brothers, our labor and trouble we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. What do you think that looks like, you guys? To walk worthy of the God who died for you. What does that look like? Do you ever think about that? To walk in a manner worthy of God? Worthy of the gospel? This is the creator of the universe who came and redeemed us, who reconciled us to himself by his blood. That's Christ crucified. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, just what does that look like? Think about it. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Because I think that is, is, is what the gospel, how the gospel should impact our lives. This one guy said this quote, Derek Thomas said, the gospel is not God loves us, but God loves us at the cost of his son. I love that thought. The gospel is not that God loves you, but God loves you at the cost of his son. I mean, just think about that. How many of you are willing to take one of your children and kill them for the sake of somebody else? Probably none of us. The gospel is not God loves us. God loves you, but God loves you at the cost of his son. I, do you love the gospel? I would hope you love the gospel. We should love the gospel. And the gospel then begins with repentance. So here's what we should be in the church, man. We should be repentant people. We should be repentant people. 
Oswald Chambers said, there's nothing attractive about the gospel to the natural man. The only man who finds the gospel attractive is the man who is convicted of sin. You know what? You are not going to love the gospel if you're not convicted of sin. Repentance. The gospel. We should be a repentant people. Not a perfect people, a repentant people. J.C. Ryle said, the man who does not glory in the gospel can surely know little of the plague of sin that is within him. Man, if you don't have a love for the gospel, you need to get a hatred for sin. That will make you understand and love the gospel. Um, Jesus talk, taught this to Simon in Luke 7. So if you want to turn to Luke 7, I love this passage, interaction Jesus had with a guy named Simon, who was a Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in town who lived the sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, you guys, that's sick. Really? I mean, this guy has been walking in sandals through some nasty streets. They had no sanitation. And here she is, this woman. I mean, this is crazy. She starts crying, wiping the feet with her teeth. Then she kissed his feet. They weren't clean. And then she poured this perfume on him. I don't know how much that cost. And, you know, the, the Pharisee was disgusted. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet who knows touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither one of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Duh. Okay? That, that's a duh, right? Oh, obvious. So Jesus says, you judge correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Man, if you don't have a repentant heart, you're not going to love Jesus. You are not going to love Jesus. I mean, Simon, I don't know what he was thinking. But he must have thought he was somebody. Or he must have thought he was something. He didn't do a thing for Jesus. And here's this woman who knew her sin. Man, when you know your sin, the love of Christ is huge. And maybe that's our problem in the church. We somehow think we're righteous and good and no, we are saved by the grace of God. We are wretched sinners with no hope. And Christ died for us. This is how we should be living. We should be kissing his feet. We should be weeping at his feet. Because we know 
that we are undeserving sinners. And if we don't know, then we are not going to love the gospel like we should, and we're not going to love Christ like we should. The gospel is the power of God to save us. You guys, there's no other power to save you except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, that should impact our life. That's what should impact our life. Romans 1.16 says, It is the power of, oh, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Hopefully many of you have that, this verse <clears throat> memorized and could say it. And if you don't, this would be a great place to start memorization. Listen to 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. Wow, that's really interesting. You know what? The gospel should make you humble. The gospel will make you humble. There's no room for pride, period, in the church. If you know the gospel. Because God did it. You were saved by the grace of God through faith. Not on your own. There, you guys, you didn't add anything to it. Nothing. Salvation is by God's grace. You have nothing to be proud about. Nothing. Not one thing. Romans 4.16. Um, turn there. Romans 4.16. <clears throat> Romans 4.16 says... <clears throat> Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Mainly, not only to those who are under the law, but those who are the faith of Abraham. You know why it's got to be by, by faith? So God can guarantee it by grace. Because if it was any other way, you would lose your salvation. If your salvation depended 1% on you, you would lose your salvation. Only God can guarantee you to be saved because he gives it to you by his grace. We need to remember that every day. And preach the gospel to yourself every day and remember this, that only by the grace of God are we saved. We have a relationship with him. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I love that thought. That's why we know we can be saved. That's why we know we can have eternal life. Look what he says in 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Man, I love that. It sets me free from the law of sin and death. I sin, I die. Guess what? In Christ, you're free from that. That is hope, you guys. That is our only hope for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened for the flesh. What the law couldn't do was save me because it depended on me. It couldn't do it. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Christ did it. 
He fulfilled it for me. He paid the price for me. You guys, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the power of God to save has nothing to do with you. And if it did, you would not be saved. The gospel is the power of God to save. And then in Romans, in the end of it says, therefore we're not ashamed, but we are not ashamed even if we have to suffer for the gospel. So I just remind you of this then. It's a power of God unto salvation, and we're not ashamed. As a matter of fact, some people even rejoice that they have this opportunity to suffer for the gospel. So 2 Timothy 1.17, you can write that one down, because I'm definitely going to run out of time. So I'm going to skip that. But um, you will read that. Because here's the deal. If Christ suffered for you, why would you not be willing to suffer for Jesus? Think, duh. That's another duh one, right? If Christ died for you, if Christ suffered for you, why would you not be willing to suffer for Jesus? That makes sense. So we rejoice even if we're ashamed of the gospel. We can even rejoice in that. So the gospel is also the wisdom of God. Um, so I'd like to go to another couple passages, and I'm just going to read them. I just want you to think about this. The gospel is a wisdom of God. So in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, if you want to flip to 1 Corinthians 1, and again, let, just, let, let this just speak to your heart. The, the gospel is a wisdom of God. Um, <clears throat> verse 18. Okay, sorry. You guys are beating me to it. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent, the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I love that. Has not God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness that was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you would turn over to Romans 11. Paul has been the first 10 verses talking, or the first 10 chapters, talking about the gospel. I mean, great, I mean, the theology of the gospel. I love it. Those first 10, verse, 10 chapters and the 11th chapter, and then he gets to the end, and he just says some amazing things. Before he starts talking, now the practical living out of this gospel in chapter 12. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the wisdom of the gospel. This gospel is amazing. Who could have thought this up except God himself? Who could have accomplished this except God himself through the gospel? 
You guys, the power of the gospel. Man, we have to live out of understanding and knowing the gospel. So I just want to talk about then, just a few passages about the, how the gospel should change us. You guys, the gospel should change us. And uh, first, this, there's a chat passage in Col Colossians 1.6, talking about the gospel. And Paul writes in Colossians 1.6, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Amen. When you understand the grace of God in truth, the gospel, you're going to bear fruit. The church is going to bear fruit. Guys, we got to have it right about the gospel. We've got to understand the gospel. We've got to love the gospel. We've got to live the gospel. That's when we understand that our lives will bear fruit. And here's some misunderstanding of the gospel. Jude 1 verse 4. Just four passages. Jude 1 verse 4. <clears throat> this is not what the gospel teaches. Verse 4 says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, pervert the gospel into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign and Lord. This is a perversion of the gospel that you can live immorally and that you can be rebellious against authority. That's a perversion of the gospel. You guys, if you... <laughs> If you are living immorally and you're rejecting God-given authority, guess what? You're perverting the gospel. That's not living according to the gospel. Here's another passage, uh, Romans 6, 1 and 2. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? We who have died to sin, how can we live any longer in it? Grace is not an excuse for sin. The gospel is not an excuse to sin. That's not an understanding of the gospel. Uh, 1 Peter, or Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. Uh, says, but every, oh wait. Oh, I'm in Ephesians, sorry. knew that didn't look right. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You guys, here's what the gospel teaches us, that we're not living for ourselves. I mean, just, are you living for yourself? Do you love the gospel? You shouldn't be living for yourself then. Love the gospel? It's not... It's not an opportunity to please the flesh. It's an opportunity to serve one another. Man, to serve one another. So I just want to look at a few passages. Um, in the next three minutes. Um, <clears throat> and the first one's in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Okay? I'm going to read it for you. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. His grace for me was not for nothing. I hope his grace in your life is not for nothing. I hope you haven't accepted the gospel for nothing, just so you can have something, at, I mean for nothing. Man, it should make a difference in your life. And here's what he said. This is what Paul said. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though not I, but the grace God was in me. 
what I did is I worked hard. And we say, well, he worked his butt off for Jesus. He said, this is, this is the impact of grace. I, I'm going to work for God. I'm going to put some effort into knowing him. You know what? <laughs> because he's been so gracious to me. Why would I not do that? You guys, the gospel, preach it to yourself every day. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, bringing salvation for all people, training or teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Is that how the gospel impacts your life? It teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us for all lawlessness and purify himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. You know what's going to motivate you to do that? An understanding of the gospel. Understanding of the grace of God. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Man, you should be growing spiritually. You should be growing spiritually because of the gospel. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you will be richly provided. It will, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, I hope you're not blind. Man, if you're not growing spiritually, that's a wrong response to the gospel. So just in closing, <clears throat> I want to read to you a short devotional by C.H. Spurgeon. Okay? And the title of this devotional is Love Strength. And he took a passage out of the Song of Solomon uh, that says, Love is strong as death. And before I read this, I want to read 2 Corinthians 5. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15. And then I'm going to read this devotional. <clears throat> um, verse 14 in 2 Corinthians 5 said, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And I always like to personalize this because it makes more, it just is, makes it really meaningful to me. For Christ's love compels me because I am convinced that he died for me. And, and he died for me and therefore I died. And he died for me that I should no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me and was raised again. Here's uh, Spurgeon's short devotional on love is strong as death. Whose love can this be that is as mighty as a conqueror of monarchs? Does it belong to the destroyer of the human race? Would it not sound like satire if it were applied to my poor, weak, and scarcely living love to Jesus my Lord? I do love him, and perhaps by his grace I could even die for him. But as for my love in itself, it can scarcely endure the scoffer's jest, much less a cruel death. 
Surely this is my beloved's love that is spoken of here. The love of Jesus, the matchless lover of souls. His love was indeed stronger than the most terrible death, for it endured the trial of the cross triumphantly. It was a lingering death, but love survived the torment. A shameful death, but love despised the shame. A penal death, but love bore our iniquities. A forsaken, lonely death from which the eternal Father hid his face, but love endured the curse and triumphed over all. There never was such a love, never such a death. It was a desperate duel, but love bore the pain. What then, my heart? Have you no emotion stirred within you at the thought of such heavenly affection? Yes, my Lord, I long, I want to feel your love flaming like a furnace within me. Come yourself and excite the love of my spirit. For every drop of crimson blood thus shed to make me live, oh, wherefore, wherefore have I not a thousand lives to give? Why should I despair of loving Jesus with a love as strong as death? He deserves it. I desire it. The martyrs felt such love, and they were mere men and women, so why not I? They mourned their weakness, and yet out of weakness were made strong. Grace gave them their unflinching constancy. There is the same grace for me. Jesus, lover of my soul, shed abroad this love, even your love, in my heart today. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the cross. God, we just love the gospel. We're just thankful for the gospel. God, just stir in our hearts uh, these emotions, these, these, this understanding, this desire to love you. And God, our love is so, uh, so weak. But God, we just fall upon your grace and, and ask for your help uh, this day. God, thank you. Uh, for this time that we can share together. Thank you uh, that we can just uh, share with this time and the blessings that we have in each other and in the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.